An elegant weapon for a more civilized age. Kids, here we are. It's episode 422 of an elephant. Oh man, I'm too late. You're I'm too, too late. Too, too late. Um, yeah. But we had an excellent time a couple episodes ago. Uh, Mr. Kevin Smith was kind enough to intro the show, uh, which was super, super cool. Uh, that guy? That guy? That guy. Well, we met him at Gotham, right? He had the, uh, there was the Kevin Smith day yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that they threw together at Gotham, which was so amazing because it was in the middle of the week. Everyone was at work. Uh, not a lot of time was given for, you know, just getting it out there for promoing it. So it was like a hundred people or like 150 people in Gotham central. And it was so intimate and it was so relaxed and it was, and all the people there were like, just kind of like six inches off the ground. You know what I mean? The mood was so light. And I'll tell you the thing about meeting this guy in person was the thing that struck me the most was how much respect he was paying to everyone else in the room. Mm-hmm. Like he had that Tom Cruise thing that you hear about where he's looking in your eyes and he's making you feel seen and heard and like totally on a, on a level. You know what I mean? Dude, I got a, a great Kevin Smith story that relates to everything we're going to talk about today. Let me hear. So it. if you, if you want to hear it right now, or I can, I can call back to this later on. What do you. you think works? Do you think it'll make a good callback? Yeah. Yeah. Let's sure. keep it as a callback because <laughs> I had a, I had a good lead in actually lead away. I'm All following right, so your show, brother. It's been a long pandemic. Uh, it was a long dark time. Uh, luckily our community thrived fairly well. Uh, yeah. You know, being able to adapt to an online presence, a lot of publisher publishers, a lot of shops, you know, they were, they were able to find their way, which was super cool. Um, but it was a confusing time for a lot of creators. Uh, and there's kind of two halves to this community. There's the introverted creators who don't even notice if there's a pandemic. They just keep sitting in the basement working away, right? And then there's the other half who are guys like me and guys like you who are fairly extroverted to the point where we enjoy people. And having that taken away is a weird thing. You were lucky in that you kind of still had a constant audience. You always kind of had someone to talk to you know, through your occupation at least. Right. Yeah. But that wasn't always good conversations. Oh no, I'm sure. (laughs) No, I'm sure it was a difficult and weird thing at times to wrap your head around, but uh, just a lot of people had to find their way through. And, Mm -hmm. you know, some people, you know, found new ways, new paths. Some people kind of tunneled through, but just recently enough, I was having this exact conversation with a few fellow people at a little Christmas shindig. And uh, we were just kind of, you know, people were popping up. It wasn't like gossipy talk. We were just talking about how people got through the industry and who did this and who did what. And your name came up. Uh Uh-oh. No, not at all. But uh, we were just kind of like, you know, we just hadn't heard from you in a while. You hadn't been super present at a lot of shows. You know, you've been kind of doing your thing. A couple of years. I've been sitting on stuff, dude. I know. I know. Well, that's the thing. That's what this leads into is because, 
you know, we were talking about uh, how, you know, a couple of years ago, you had a few things that you were pretty passionate about and that you tried to get off the ground. A few things didn't quite fly. Then a pandemic got in the way and, you know, things were rolling. So we just didn't know what was up. And that was one of those parts of the conversation. I wonder what's up with Fred. And, uh, you know, I wonder, you know, is he still going with it? Is he still writing? Because we just hadn't talked to you in a while. Right. And then I swear to God, this was not like two, three weeks ago. I was having this conversation. And then very recently, out of the blue, out of nowhere, explodes onto the Internet. Dead Romans coming from Fred fucking Kennedy. And I smiled. No shit. I smiled an ear to ear grin. And I was like, well, that's what Fred's been fucking up to. And then it flashed in my head. Like you've had this going a long time that you've been wanting to do this story. Did you, is there a possibility you told me about this years ago? I think I might've told you about it when I was just tinkering with the idea and right. it, and it, you're thinking about like at the beginning, like summer of 2019. And yes. that was when we hung out at Dave Bishop's house. Yeah. And some stuff kind of fell apart that we were working on and, and falling apart's really not so much the accuratest accuratest term of looking at it because uh i was working on a story called warpath with kyle charles charles a creator uh from back home and it deals with human trafficking and it deals with certain situations going on with the indigenous first nations communities here in canada uh and we both sort of like mutually decided maybe not our story to tell and he's even like very much of the mindset like you know, this is a story where we're almost fridging a female character right off the beginning as like impetus for the story that goes along. And it, it's given that my wife is, is, is indigenous and their kids are indigenous. My, all my in-laws are It's sort of like a situation where I sort of had to step back a bit from it, which is frustrating to do because I put so much work into it. I was so passionate about it, but it's not my story to tell. And so then I had some other pitches that had gone out and I had three things that were greenlit, three different things that were all in the works. And when the pandemic happened, they all sort of like imploded. They all fell apart. And it was a really frustrating time for me. And so I stepped away from comics and I was working on my radio play, Mud 79, which is a Star Wars radio play. It's like Platoon meets Star Wars. Yeah. Told from the Imperial perspective. I, I love it so much. And so that was really starting to get some traction, this radio play. And here's why I loved it, because I didn't need to work with anyone. I work at a very weird pace where it's incredibly frantic and then nothing and then while nothing is happening, I'm reworking the things that I frantically worked on before. And while all this is happening, I had Dead Romans and the script with a breakdown sent to the artist Nick Marenkovich, who was working on this book called The Voyager, which was like a crowdfunded book. And he was working on the second volume of it. And I had said, listen, you're the guy I want to work with. When you're done, whenever that is, send me the pages. Because I don't know if you've seen Nick's work. It's really, really good. It is off <laughs> the hook good. Yes. It is just it's insane. So good. 
that I only even asked him. I got up the confidence to talk to him because of Kalman Andrushovsky, who okay. tricked me for like saying, you're selling yourself short. This is a great story idea. Do you want the best or do you want what you can get? And I'm like, I want the best. He goes, then go to the best. He goes, if you go to the best and are passionate about your story, he goes, that means so much to an artist when the writer cares. So I talked to him about it and he liked it. We were tabling close to each other at the fall of 2019 at the Fan Expo show. That's where I talked to him about it. And so I just, we talked about it. He's like, I really like this idea. We'd email back and forth. I'm like, here, when you get it done, get it done, send it to me. And this is all going to build together. Trust me. <laughs> it's, it's good. So <laughs> You've got me. <laughs> so when pencils, the pencils down at the beginning of the pandemic and all these projects fell apart and I'd sunk myself into this radio show because I could just do it on my own. I voiced it. I sent it to other people that I know are actors and voice actors and radio people and Star Wars fans like Mike Walsh uh, from The Silver Coin. Amazing artist, huge Star Wars guy. He did the graphic novel adaptation of The Last Jedi, huge Star Wars guy. And I got him to do a voice in it. And I got all these people that I know that are big Star Wars people to do voice. Heather Antos, who's like the editor of the Star Wars universe for Marvel right. Comics. She does a voice in the character. Uh, Andrew Wheeler, who's oh, he's so good in his character, too. He's a great so, dude. <laughs> so I was loving this story and I was loving what I was doing. And then when the final episode, it was almost serendipitous. The final episode went out. And then like three days later, I got an email from Nick being like, hey, man. Here's your pitch pages. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Nice. And so these, and he's like, and I did a cover because I had an idea. And so he did this cover and he did the pitch pages. And we're like, and you there's a sense of it's real. Yeah. <laughs> it really happened. And so all of a sudden, I I had this pitch and I I was like, this is hot shit. Like, this is really good. <laughs> And it was so much better than I'd expected it to be. And I sent it out. And so I know that I'm not good at writing pitches. I'm not good at writing pitches. I'm, I, can, I'm, I always say I'm a good storyteller, but I'm not a good writer. Because okay. good writers can write amazing pitches. I'm a good storyteller, but no editor is going to sit down and read a whole story. Okay. So what I did was I sent, the, I sent out the opening, just the opening with contact information. And I sent it to like a whole bunch of places. And I just said, this is, these pages are beautiful. Read them. And if you want the pitch doc, I'll send them over. <clears throat> and I got some responses. I, uh, in humanoids actually got back to me, which was right really on. cool. They got back to me right away. And they said, these pages are beautiful. The problem is that I feel like we're only getting a sense of the plot and not the characters. And so I refined my pitch. And by the time I had heard back from Shadowline, uh, Jim Valentino wrote me back being like, this is beautiful. What is this about? Because I'm, I'm totally hooked. <clears throat> if it hadn't been for the feedback from Inhumanoids, I wouldn't have modified the pitch. So when I sent the pitch package out this second time, he got the second pitch. And I sent, it to, I sent him the pages in the morning. He got back to me in the afternoon. I sent him the pitch doc. And I got home and an email from Shadowline being like, let's do it up. Let's go. I was like, well, all right, let's go. So we wanted to have um, 
four issues done and in the can before we solicited so that there was no chance of us being delayed and no right. chance of us being slow. And so now four issues in the can. Ah. We're good to go. Uh, Jim did the big announcement. And yeah, March next year, it's out. And that's, that's you exciting, have no man. idea. You have no idea what's coming, dude. <laughs> you have no idea. I don't think, and that's the thing too, is like no one's talking about like what the hell it's about because it's just so stunning what we're already just seeing. Yeah. It's is is enough to be like, okay, this is exciting as fuck, right? Like yeah. Yeah, it's thrilling. So, so like we, when we put out the, the thing with this story is, is it takes place during the Battle of Tudorburg Forest, which for anybody who is aware of Romantic history, this wasn't the biggest defeat Rome ever suffered in terms of scale. There's actually two that are bigger than this one, but in terms of lasting global impact, there's nothing bigger. Okay. If you look at a map of Europe, there's the Germanic line of languages and the Romanic. And one half is Romanic, the other half is Germanic. That line only exists because of the Battle of Tudorburg Forest. Oh, it's exciting. And so ostensibly, there's this like big, punchy, wild story that is super violent because it's a very, very violent. Incident. So this is this is based on true events. It takes place in true events, but okay. we create so it's a fictional story yes. within a, a factual event. That yeah, happened. it's yeah, historical fiction. As right, far right. As it, sure. With a capital F on the fiction. <clears throat> you're right, but, but you're not like, taking any actually known no. like peoples or characters and James. We haven't, you're, you're not ingloriously bastardizing. No, 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 no. Rome. What we right. do is the main character, uh, there's the, the main male character and the main female character, Arminius. Uh, is a true character, true to life character. He was this guy. He was a Roman. He was a Germanic prince from the Cheruzzi. Uh, his tribe ceded to Rome, which was causes a lot of division within the tribe itself. And the Romans had this policy where, when you surrender, they take your children hostage and they bring them back to Rome. Now, when I say they take them hostage, <clears throat> and there's probably historical experts that can refute what I'm about to say because they'll find some text that says it, but the consistent narrative is when Rome took your children hostage, they didn't bring them back and treat them like prisoners. They brought them back and raised them as Roman nobility with the intent of saying you lost. This is why this is the way we do things. This is why we always win. So some people really gravitate towards that. And Arminius was a guy who just got it. They taught him battle tactics. They taught him horsemanship. They taught him how to win wars, how to fight, all of that stuff, philosophy, tactics, all these things. And he got it. And he didn't just become a hostage general. He gained nobility in Roman class through merit on the battlefield. So when Rome decided Germania is now an official Roman province and we will take taxes. He was sent to Rome to be an in-between between the Roman Empire and the Germanic people because he was a Germanic prince. Okay. When he gets there, he sees how brutal the Romans are being to his own people, specifically the Cheruzzi, and he swears 
that this will not stand. <laughs> and it is one of the most fascinating things because the idea of just you want revenge, you take it. Yeah. Very appealing. Yeah. And, and I feel like that this is a lesson that people need to learn in today's society as well. Quick fixes don't last. Right. Quick, fast change doesn't last. No. He takes over two years and in secret unites all of these Germanic tribes and peoples that had been enemies for generations and says, listen, if you want the Romans to leave, I'm the guy that's going to make it happen. And I'm the guy who knows how to beat them because I know how they fight. I have been trained as a general and I lead an entire army myself. I know how to beat them. You just need to shut your mouths and listen to what I say. And so we take this guy and that's the true story. That's really what happened. And we take this, this guy and give him another element of love. Mm. We give him a love story Ooh. in our story and <laughs> we create this guy that us as dudes can always relate to of wanting to give that person you love everything right the problem that often happens is we want to give them everything to us and we don't listen to everything to them is you know what i mean yes i and do that is what happens with this story okay and so it's intriguing yeah i think it's really <laughs> yeah. good and that's what nick's art really brought to it is when i explained to nick like the story he's like oh i love that story but it, he got that it's not about the battle it's about a guy realizing that he fucked up <laughs> and yeah, if he yeah. just taking the time to listen, maybe this whole situation would have wound up very different than what ends up happening. And Nick's art sells it. You know, it's his art is it's it's romantic in a way. It you is. Know, there's there's a there's a soft beauty to its uh you know horrible historical truth, at least from what I've seen that I love. That's that's the intriguing thing about it. You know what I mean? It's uh it's stylized that way. Yeah. yeah. And he, what I love about Nick and what he brought to this story is he loves negative space. Right. And he almost gives this story a horror element, which it should have. Let's take a look at the numbers. Okay. You're <laughs> talking about 40,000 people that are butchered alive over three or four days. Right. That's, a lot of work and they're moving through a swampy rained out forest <laughs> that oh. has been storming for days. There are strong, tangible horror elements and anybody that's gone camping in the bush in the middle of summer on a clear night knows it's dark. Night is dark. It is black. Take away the moon, take away the stars, and put an overcast, rainy sky. Oh, God. Yeah. You're moving through horror incarnate. Like there's parts of your brain 
that I always go, my lizard brain is speaking to me right now. <laughs> that part of your brain that goes back to like the primeval goo, primeval goo that says we shouldn't be here right now. Things are bad. The whole right. story takes place in parts that your brain would say, no, no, this is bad. Yeah. Like the kind of places that, you know, that's where the PTSD comes from extended <gasps> periods in that moment. Right. And yeah. You know, you throw in a love story on top of that shit. Yeah. And like what's interesting, I don't know how much reading you've done on like the, the Vietnam War, but there's a this guy, Nick Brockhausen, and he's written these series of books, uh, We Few and Whispers in the Tall Grass. And he was like this Mac V Sog special forces guy. And he talks so much about uh, the colonial wars in North America and how the Mac V Sog guys read constantly two things uh books about as he refers to it as the french indian wars because there's books that were written about how the native tribesmen re-educated these europeans on the concept of guerrilla tactical warfare and so these are books that they're reading in vietnam and the other big thing is the stories about the Gallic Wars written by Julius Caesar and how horrible it was for the Romans fighting the Gauls. We didn't care about sending an army out in the field. It was all about harassing supply lines and murdering people at night. And those are the things that they right. got into because of the situation they were in. Yeah. And the, the whole time I'm working on this story, because our characters aren't involved in the big armies that are marching and doing battle. You've got this cluster of people that are alone, surrounded by, by chaos and yeah. death. And there's a really cool scene where they're hunkered down and all they can hear around them in the woods is people being sacrificed alive oh God. to the gods. Because <laughs> the Germans were of this mindset where we're winning because the gods are helping us win. How do we appease them? Well, we've got all these slaves that we took. Let's sacrifice them to the gods. So they're sacrificing people on an industrial scale every night, oh all God. night long. Yeah, yeah. And you're got you've got people that are trying to just get out alive. That it's not like these things happen quietly. <laughs> You know, they don't happen quietly. Yeah, no. I mean, there's process behind it. I realize too. It, 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 this 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 fits. But I guess it's a little off topic, but I was watching a YouTube video earlier about this. And it was this guy, this like uh, history of war expert. And he picked. Oh, did we just freeze up? No, I see you. You're oh, OK. You um, <laughs> you're so, you're so <laughs> mannequinly like stoic for a minute. Um, I'm just listening. But this guy, yeah. he chose his five favorite scenes from war movies as far as what he thought was the most accurate scenes. And one of the ones he chose was, uh, A, it was Outlaw, which is uh, that movie with Chris Pine where he plays Robert the Bruce. The Outlaw King. And they showed, yeah, is that what it's called? Yeah. Yep. And they showed the one battle, um, which Edward wasn't actually at, but they put him at in the movie. But just the the landscape of what they had to go through with the turned up mud and you know the mist and the fog and the environment and then he went on to another one which was last of the mohicans 
And kind of like you say with the guerrilla warfare, because it's yes. a scene where all these British who are used to like fighting in big fields and big lines and big formations. And this was their concept of war. All of a sudden they're funneled through a really thick forest with all this cover. And these Indians just come out of nowhere and massacre all of them. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I love, I love the, the, just when those were always the most interesting wars when when uh when two just kind of different sides would come together and their 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 methods were so like different from each other you know so my love of romantic history because i moved to canada when i was 12 and we lived in this village called Erchi in belgium which is very close to a belgii encampment and the belgii are mentioned repeatedly in the gallic wars as the tribe that wasn't the most dangerous but the tribe that the Romans hated fighting the most okay, because they didn't surrender. They would butcher their own families to prevent them from being captured. And then everyone would fight to the death. There was no give, like there was no give. And, and Caesar always hated that because there was no negotiating. You don't negotiate. You have to fight and conquer them or you die. Like that's, that's it. So like the, the Roman, like the Roman mentality of, fighting in a big line and lining up they knew how to win war their way and they're fighting a guy who knows how they win right so he establishes this road through the tudorberg forest and he has guys working on it preparing the landscape for two years Like they build mounds of dirt along the sides about a few meters inside the forest wall that will overgrow over time. And he knows they'll overgrow so that they can hide. This guy Batman the shit out of the Romans. Like two years of prep, putting clans together and digging ditches. There's and and the hardest part was hardest part was choosing where do we start this story and so this because you could argue that the story really starts when he's a child being taken and all the things that he learns and then when he goes back and he realizes i've been sold a bill of false goods and it's i love the characters in this story so much because i really feel like arminius the main character and Honoria have both been sold a false bill of goods, you know, yeah. uh, that Arminius is fighting for this empire that took everything from him. And he sees verbatim what this empire has taken from him. And Honoria, the female protagonist in the story is also allied with Rome is also a slave, but for her Rome elevated her beyond anything she ever could have hoped to have been she has merit by her own skills and abilities she has rank and status beyond free people even though on paper she is a slave she is so valued to the household that she has sworn to that there is no wavering in her loyalty whatsoever Mm. and i love strong uncompromising characters Especially when they come together and are so powerful and passionate and strong and refined and together they're even more so. And then you get to that split in the road where they can no longer walk together. And will they come back? Will they fall apart? 
Yeah. How does this all work? Because they both want to be with each other, but are certain differences truly irreconcilable? You know what I mean? Anakin and Padme, man. It really is. <laughs> like, and I love those two characters together. Yeah. Because I just feel like there's there's a lot of passion going and on. And forgive me for you know the comparison because I, I do hate to uh, compare. I love um, to compare, so keep going. Okay, well, <laughs> King Arthur, or not King Arthur, but Arthur, the one with Clive Owen. Yeah. And that's pretty much what he goes through as a Roman soldier, a Roman general that he was. I love that becomes, movie, by the way. People oh, dump so on it good. all the time, but I love it. So I love good, it so right? Much. And he's so dis- he becomes more and more disillusioned with Rome, and Rome's kind of turning their back on the people, turning yeah. their back on the pagans. And you know, in the end, is exactly as you just said. He realizes him and the pagans coming together, you know, ends up being their you know strongest option against the Saxons. And oh, sorry, that just I just reminded myself that Stellan Skarsgård is in that movie. And <laughs> oh, he's so good. Oh, man, finally, a man worth killing. Oh my god, that movie's so goddamn good. <laughs> <laughs> so there is like a guy, uh, he is, his name is Michael Wood and he's a British historian documentarian. And he is one of those guys that tries to find the historical basis for mythological figures okay. and characters from around the globe. And he did an episode that is all about King Arthur and how what would the historic basis have been and he doesn't paint him as a Roman but he paints him definitely in that era with the big Saxon invasion and my love of historic fiction and all that stuff like that's a story that I would love to do yeah like an historic last kingdom-esque oh love it the you know story of King Arthur Uther King of the Britons and all that stuff Absolutely. I just I thought it was brilliant the way they came up with that whole idea of straight up making him a Roman and and the pagans and the Gaelics. It was it was it was so well done, man. It was uh and the history of that. You know, it was weird the other night, it's Christmas Eve, and I get back here with the kid and I'm like, let's watch something, you know, and I'm suggesting Christmas movies or whatever, and he's just not feeling it. And he settles on 300. Oh, and I'm like, really? Battle of Maya play. He's like, Absolutely. yeah, see this one. So we throw it on, and half the movie is he understands that it really happened, but not as the movie exactly mm. portrayed it, right? So the whole movie is just questions because he's like me; he's very curious about the actuality of these things when they go down. And uh, that was always when I was a little kid. I was big on. I think it's where my love of canon maybe came from was just the, the accuracy in a good fifties movie. Like, you know what I mean? And uh, yeah. So so the whole movie is like, was there actually 300, you know, was it actually this, was it actually that? And I was like, well, it was probably more like 300,000, but it was definitely like a gangst a a whole lot more. Like the, the essence of the story was true, but I doubt that, you know, and, and I even told him because the one line, uh, then, then we'll fight in the shade um that's that's apparently that's true that's true and right listen to this listen yeah. to this when he says come and get them those are the words of the greek army oh really to the that's their that's okay. their, their phrase they're like you know their motto of the greek right. army is come and get them that's awesome. like that yeah. is it right there yeah yeah uh, and the, when you look at thermia play there there's been multiple major battles there was a battle in the 
first world war fought there the That's exact crazy. same way right and, and because it's it's a great tactical position to be involved with and th- that movie is people can say what they want about it being so over the top but i don't think there's anything wrong with that because i can guarantee you that there are hundreds if not thousands of kids little boys little girls that saw that movie that picked up a history book that would not have picked one up otherwise absolutely yeah and i and and to me my hope is 20 years from now i meet some professor of ancient civilizations that says it was dead romans that inspired them and what I tried to do with this story is uh, I tried to create a situation where there are no bad guys, like no bad guys, just characters motivated in different ways because there's two characters that are on opposite ends of this situation that I feel are the exact same dude. Uh, there's a character um, who is called Regulus, and that's not his real name. That is, that is his Roman adopted name, who uh, was from Kush. He was from Africa. And I lined all these things up with history, by the way. Right. Varus's legions, Gaius Quintilius Varus, his legions were in Syria and were called into Egypt before he went to Syria. So there were Kushites that were liberated in his legion that fought and died in the battle. Because one of the big things the Romans did was they knew, and this is genius because this is the way militaries work today. They knew that if they're in Germany and they, they conscript all kinds of young Germans who lined up to join the legions because they got great pay and a pension, which is amazing. They had a union. They got a pension. So they knew that if they joined and they fought and they loved to fight, they would not only get spoils of war, money, and a pension at the end of it. So if you're in Germany and you sign up, you didn't serve in Germany. No, 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 no. The second you signed up, they put you on a wagon and took you somewhere else. Right. You fought fought in Africa. You went and fought in the Middle East. You went and fought in France. You went and fought in Iberia. Right. You went and fought somewhere else. Yeah. So they transitioned all their soldiers around. So soldiers that got joined up in Africa didn't stay there. No, no, they went somewhere else. People don't realize what a mess it was back then. Like when Alexander was fighting Darius, you know, the Persian empire had already conquered so much for itself that it was basically Alexander and all his Macedonians fighting like seven to nine different countries. Yes. That had already been conquered. Also, including Greek mercenaries. Yeah. So they're not all, they're not already fighting like a nine, you know, nation like empire, but they've got their own people are against them on there. And Alexander still comes up with such brilliant enough tactics to like, take all of that out. Like just insane to me. The thing with, with Alexander the great was that he led from the front. It's like an mm-hmm. Edward the fourth type character. Edward the fourth was a big admirer of uh alexander the great and by edward if i could do i'm serious if i could pick another historical figure to do (laughs) a story about edward the fourth is the guy that i'm going with 100 i don't know how much you've read about the war of the roses and edward the fourth but in terms of a fascinating 
fascinating character. Edward the Fourth is it. Andy Belanger, I always tell him he's my yeah. Edward the Fourth. Always I'm like, he's my Edward the Fourth, Andy. <laughs> if I ever do a story about Edward the Fourth, I need you to draw because you're Edward the Fourth to me. Like Andy, like Andy Belanger, anybody who doesn't know him or hasn't seen him, he is like a big dude who would have no problem downing a drink and standing beside you at fisticuffs in a bar. Oh, he's a warrior. He's an animal. 20, exactly. Yeah. 20 guys against <laughs> yeah. him, and yeah. he's ready to go. Doesn't care. Let's yeah. just fight. Let's just go. Let's just see what happens. <laughs> that's the kind of guy Edward the Fourth was, and he did the same types of things. And if he gets beat down, he'd probably smile about it, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, like, the th- these characters that I have in Dead Romans are from these different places, and they're all there for a different reason. Like, there is Regulus, who doesn't love Rome, but he loves the opportunities it gave him because he talks about how before the Romans came, I was just a war warrior in my tribe and I was captured and I was going to be sold into a slave market and the Roman garrison nearby needed soldiers. So they, they freed us and they it's almost gave like us the death watch, man, yeah, the, the they, Mandalorian death watch, picking up the foulings, right? Here, and bring yeah, them here on you back. go. Yeah, yeah. You got to fight now. You're joining the Legion. He's yeah, like, yeah. why would I not love it? I was going to have to go fight in a gladiator pit anyways. And now I'm fighting. Yeah, yeah. And they've, they've trained me. I command my own units now. Like, what is not to love? I am so and, proud of the two Star Wars references I've been able to make during this conversation in regards to the Roman Empire. <laughs> On the history tip, one more thing I want to mention about that. My obsession has always been Robin Hood since a wee child and part of what really spurred it on for me the understanding that it wasn't real but was based on reality was that my step great grandfather my great grandmother's husband who was around all my life he grew up literally playing in nottingham forest they're sorry in sherwood forest and he like sherwood he, forest yeah he, he he grew up in nottingham he played in sherwood forest and they played robin hood And he would tell me stories and he'd tell me about the forest and it would just drive me crazy that it was an actual place. So when I read the books, because I started young, I had like a little kid's version and then I kind of read the teen version. And then eventually I read the adventures of Robin Hood. And one of those books, the great illustrated classics and on one page was dialogue. And then the next page was a picture. Yeah. Love those things. Yeah. And you could get these little sets. Like I had a set of like 10 classics and that's where, you know, as much as it wasn't like the full on adult novel or whatever, still as a little kid, I remember reading Last of the Mohicans, Moby Dick, Oliver Twist. All like, those things matter, yeah. man. I don't think people get too dismissive about that stuff. You got to plant that seed with the kids and get them inspired and get them interested because that interest never goes away. There's a reason there's a reason kids love history and love the concept of adventure and excitement and wild and crazy things and I feel that we're all too eager to dump on it as not being as accurate as it should be. And it's like, you're missing the point. You're setting them on a journey. That's, yeah. This is the beginning for them. And yeah. that's going to stay with them their whole lives. I love medieval history and I love all that stuff. And I'm still learning about it now. Mm-hmm. And so if somebody had come along and dumped on me as a little kid for liking something that's silly and, and non-accurate, would that have affected me? I don't even know. And so, we, like, I think it's important we never do that. We you came from the it. ultimate time of that, though. Like, you know, unlike any other time in history, the 80s and 90s for children, late 70s, were the most creative, varied, 
out there production of art, I think, in history. I mean, maybe the 60s, but, you know, and we were even talking about it in the 90s, how we were comparing that time to the 60s and how everything is circular, you know, it's circular and it flows. And But it really is like, uh, it was a time of when in the 80s you had so much suspension of disbelief, like it was unreal. Like we had, if you watch the old cartoons, the old TV shows, the old movies we grew up on, there is so much in there that just makes no sense. Couldn't be physically possible, isn't reasonably possible, but we didn't care. We were so forgiving of the details that, you know, we just wanted this cool overarching, you know, story or adventure. And usually in the 80s, they taught us all the basic morals that we got from when we were young from Sesame Street. You know, be a good person, you know, be, you know, recycle, you know, don't bully. Every episode of every cartoon ended with a moral lesson. Yes. Yes. The He-Man lesson of the day, man. Mm. Like, I loved those. So I got to wrap this. In terms of not the conversation, but just like my characters. Yeah. And, and they're like loving Rome and fighting for Rome, but not being part of Rome. Uh, there's another character who is Gallic. And the only reason he fights for Rome, and, and there's a great one of my favorite lines in the whole like thing scenes is because Nick drew Epo as me. Oh okay. long hair. Right. And there's a scene where he's talking about how. Like he gets one of them says, talk about don't you have any love of the emperor? He goes, I don't care about the Roman Empire at all. Yeah. I'm only here because I get to kill Germans and they've been killing my people for generations. So I'm not here for Rome. I'm here to kill them. And that's all that matters to me. Period. End of story. Like he has no love of Rome, but they facilitate an opportunity right. to kill the people that have been killing his people. Yeah. And that's the character that I love the most in the story is because. He's very honest about his complete non-caring about how anything (laughs) goes on. All that matters is that more Germans die. And if we live, we get to ensure that the Romans will come back and butcher these guys because that's what the Empire does. So his character is dope. Like, because so you got like uh, a Gallic guy from the southern shores of France. You've got a Kushite warrior who fights for the Empire now. You've got a Syrian slave who is a member of a personal household that is an assassin and murderer and spy, and none of them are Romans, yet all of them are fighting for the empire. And I think that is the coolest aspect. That's a very cool aspect. There's no real Romans. And I wanted to do a thing, and this is like my thing about Star Wars, (laughs) that I don't really believe in a big difference between the empire and the Republic. And I know that that I'm not supposed to think that as a star Wars guy, but I really don't believe in a big difference between Rome, the empire and Rome, the Republic and whether Rome as a nation or an entity had a positive or negative effect on the people around them. Because if you take a look at the world that existed when Rome was a power, Rome was better for you than anyone else. Yeah. Like if you got, if you, and I say that, like we're not six foot giant buff dudes that scrap in bars. So Rome would have been better for us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because those guys that do that, like 
giant, super tough, the Andy Belangers of the world, yeah. they would have done all right on their own. But we need something, a group atmosphere that we can go right. as a pack. Yeah, yeah. That's the mentality there. Yeah, makes sense, man. Oh, I'm excited, man. Tell me a bit about Nick, because I'm unfamiliar with Nick. Where, what, what's he done? Where'd, where'd he come from? Uh, you know, I came in contact with Nick because of the Voyager. And by the way, I got to give momentary pause for a second. And before we talk about how great Nick is, because he is great. And I think that anybody who looks at the pages is, is drawn in because of Nick's abilities and not mine at first. I keep him around. I hope. <laughs> Allison O'Toole was our editor on this. And Allison awesome. O'Toole is, uh, she's a freelance editor from here in the GTA. And she does a lot of work with like Chip Zdarsky and a bunch of other creators and this book owes a phenomenal, phenomenal debt of gratitude to her and her abilities. Uh, not just from an editorial standpoint, but from holding my hand and walking me through the process of dealing with a big imprint like Shadowline and Image. And you're in the big leagues now. And, yeah. and she was there for me to guide me through this process and to help craft my first draft scripts to the version that we have that you will get to see when the final issues start dropping kudos to you for making that shout out yes because i i I, you know it's become more and more apparent over the especially just the past few years we've talked extensively on the show about the importance of an editor Mm. so much so that i Recently, I completed writing a little. I saw myself, and I sent you much love. (laughs) I appreciated that that so much. I do. I'm I'm very excited, but terrified as hell. But even I have learned enough that the first thing I'm doing is going to an editor. You know, like I I have someone I want to work with who wants to work with me. So hopefully, they enjoy it once they get their chance. I just wanted to get the first draft, like you know. I just wanted to puke it out of my brain and get it on paper. Absolutely. And, but you know, even I'm not, people have been like, well, who's artist or this or that. I'm not, that hasn't even crossed my mind. You know, the only other human I've even considered that I need at this point is a fucking editor. Yes. You know, that's, I'm not even moving past that in thought until that is an actuality. You know what I mean? She's so great. I, I have so much, love and admiration for Allison as a like a companion in this journey um and she made me far more confident in my writing uh because I am aware that working with somebody with the talent of Nick it's very easy to get lost in the shuffle and she goes you got to remember that Nick is the artist and he's creating this story absolutely but you created the story that he's bringing to life and you can't, can't ignore that. You know enough. Come on, Fred. (laughs) Yeah. But it's like, it's a totally different world right now. And with Nick, so Nick, I love talking to because we hate all of the same things, which I think is, (laughs) but so um, Nick got his big break, like his, he talks about how he started in like the late nineties and his very first show 
he got snagged up by IEW to do the uh, Underworld comic. Oh. So he did the comic adaptation of the Underworld movies. And I fucking... I that's might him. have that. Then that's him. Because I and, love those fucking movies. I may yeah, have that. We all I gotta love check. <laughs> those movies, dude. We all yeah, love so those good. movies. Yeah. Um, it was a time. And he did the comics for them. And then he got picked up by Marvel. And he talks about how he was doing two books at the same time. And it broke him from comics. So he didn't want to do comics because the the work was so intensive. And the turnaround wasn't there. And Nick, as I've learned, is very detail-oriented. Okay, Like, he'll get hung up on very minute things that I'm very much like, dude, no. No one cares. Stop chasing <laughs> this bone. You and I care. And when we do the trade, good. Let's correct it. Let's go back yeah. to it. When the trade is out, let's correct it. <laughs> but right now, let's get it done. Let's yeah. get it done. And and the things the thing is, is he'll like send me this picture. And go, I don't know if I really like it. And it's like, how do you not like it? Like it's perfect and beautiful and amazing. Like it's right, so good. Yeah. And so Nick is. So he has, he holds himself to an aggressively high standard when he's putting pages together. Right on. Um, like his thumbs are more detailed than most pencils are. It's <laughs> nuts. It's yeah. nuts. And so he's doing the the pencils and inks. Jose Virabula is doing the. The, the colors who and he also worked on arrows oh, which is one of my okay. favorite well books, yeah the colors the themselves are fucking yeah. gorgeous yeah and then uh andrew thomas is doing the andrew letters. he was on last episode there you go and so, we he wasn't on in time enough to be able to talk about this all we were able to talk about were all his little kevin smith books that okay um. <laughs> so 2009 summer of 2009. oh no wait save that one we're not quite there yet okay else i'll forget right. this one point that i just wanted to talk about and that's how you were talking about you know this is next level you're working with image you've got this insane you know artist and it you know it's it makes you a little nervous of course right it's God, new for it you but it's 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 all about the perspective shift of capabilities yeah this is something i've been thinking about a lot because perspective shift of capabilities now when you try to look at what you're capable of in life, your ability to say, learn something and develop a skill and have confidence and experience in that skill, obviously experience is such an important thing, right? Mm -hmm. Now I think about certain things that I'm scared to do. And then I think about, okay, this is just, it's not a lack of you being good enough. It's a lack of knowledge. It's just yeah. something you have yet to learn to do or be comfortable with. Cause I can be 120 feet off the ground in the top of some fucking tree. I don't know how you do with this, a 15 fine. with a 15 pound chainsaw about six inches from my face. And I'm whistling Dixie up there. I'm hardly fucking thinking about it because I've been doing it for so long and I learned how to do it properly. Fred, you're nervous about this comic. Yet, you know what amazes me is that I can be driving home, listening to Q107. That's right. And I'll hear my buddy Fred on there say something fucking stupid. And I will instantly message him. I will direct message him some sort of comment 
about something he just said to however many hundreds of thousands of fucking people are listening. That's totally and, different. Though. And he's instantly messaging back. But my point is you have been doing that for so long that you can sit there and be so comfortable with the fact that you are, you know, you've got how many ears on you yet. You're caught. You're fine. You're calm. Yeah, you're cool. Yeah. You don't worry about when to hit that button. You don't worry about the commercial ending. You don't, you, you, I'm sure in the beginning you felt that like anxious, like sense of urgency. Oh, the, 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 the commercial is rolling down. I, I still remember you. the first thing that I ever said on air. I can still remember the song that I came in off the back end of in 1996. I can still remember that exact moment. Right. Yeah. I remember so all of it. It's just a way to give yourself confidence is what I'm saying is you yeah. just, you're just learning the comic thing. Eventually you have the capability to get to that point where that you're going to be just as comfortable doing this. You know and what that is? is a way of like pre-confident confidenting yourself. I've found, sorry. <laughs> it is, it is like writing the comic and telling the story is easy. Like that's, I love that part. Yeah. All of the stuff that comes after it's <laughs> sharing it. <laughs> that is the tough part. And yeah. it's, it's like doing an indie book, you write it, you get the art done, you letter it, you print it, you sell it at a show. Very easy. Not that it's easy. <laughs> like I get you. It's, right. it's not easy. It is a trial. And anybody who goes to a show and, and has their indie book, like, I love it. I love yeah. that stuff. That like gorilla mentality, just going yeah. out and doing it. But the stuff that comes along with this is approving covers. Are we going to do store custom covers? Like, are we doing variants for stores? Then is there going to be incentive to order this many copies? And I was just messaging with like a store owner about that yesterday and straight up saying, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, let me talk to Jim about it. Um, and I love see it. what he says. <laughs> right. But like, and I'm being very honest, be like, I don't know. I will ask though. I will go to a professional and I will find out (laughs) who has been doing this since a long time, who, you know, helped found image comics. He'll have an answer. So let me talk to him. Okay. We'll talk to him. And and I I gotta give a big shout out to uh Jim Valentino and everybody uh at Shadowline who has been phenomenally supportive of this book. Like Jim has been so good to me right so good to me and his his faith in the book and his faith in the story and his support for the story has meant the world to me uh you did mention andrew i, I do want to talk a little bit about the radio flex i got some big news about that right on. i want to talk about andrew and kevin smith too. all right do it give me some kevin smith listen to this yeah listen to this Jay. all right 2009 <laughs> remember and i remember back all right yes we are Summer 2009, when I landed, when I first showed up at the edge, and you talked to me about how you didn't want to like me when I started at the edge. I'm sorry, dude. No, I get it. I get it. (laughs) My wife hated me the first time I met her. I'm so used to you now. It was like, yeah, that's not a radio voice. Like like 13, 14 years ago, that wasn't the case. So (laughs) when I started at the edge, I was a very hated guy because two people that had been on the air for a very long time had been let go in the process of bringing me in. 
that I didn't even know was going to happen. I want to verify that. Yeah, I didn't that was know a, that was what's happening. That was rough. Yeah. All I saw was that my dream place was offering me a job. And I told Jess, who was still my girlfriend at the time, come with me to Toronto. Let me follow my dream. And if it blows yeah. up, we'll come back home. It's fine. Yeah. If it <laughs> blows up, we come home. So my very first weekend, I got there on Wednesday afternoon and was training from Wednesday to Thursday. My first Friday, I came in with Dean, who was on air with Jason Barr and Todd Shapiro on the edge. And Kevin Smith was there. That's crazy, dude. (laughs) Kevin Smith was there. Because that night was Sausage Fest 09. Which oh, was this massive, the, I remember the yeah. Sausage Fest. Sausage Fest yes. was this massive like hot dog cookout <laughs> at Polson Pier at the <laughs> Sound Academy before it became Rebel in Toronto. Yeah. And it was Toronto. Where I saw the specials, R.I.P. Yes. Perry Hall. Yes. Yeah. Like an amazing venue for music. Like the sound in that place was insane. And it was right on the water. You had this incredible view of the downtown core and the islands. Like an amazing spot. And Kevin Smith was there because in between the bands, Kevin Smith was going to do like a spoken word thing. And so Kevin Smith rolls in. And I had just read Longbow Hunters like maybe a week before. (laughs) And of course, I'm riding high on comic book Kevin Smith, not movie Kevin Smith, but comic right. book writer Kevin Smith. And I think this was the same week Sweet Cacophony, that Batman story that he did drop yeah. the, tra- the, the trade paperback dropped yeah. that week with Walt. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. we talked, we talked about it. And I was like, you know, man, like I've done a few 24 hour comic book challenges, but one day I'm going to like, I'm going to like write comics for real. And I can remember him saying this. Why aren't you writing comics right now? Like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I don't know why. He goes, why don't you go and write comics? And I shit you not. That night, I went back drunk as a skunk from Sausage Fest 09 and started writing the first issue of Teuton, which was my very That's first comic amazing, that I ever did. Dude. And That's this is fucking awesome. I wanted desperately to get a pull quote from Kevin Smith for dead Romans and I couldn't make it fucking happen. And because Andrew is doing work with Kevin and I like pestered Andrew, give him this book. And, but then I was like, if it's going to cause problems, don't, don't. Is I it don't too late? To, yeah, it's too late for the first issue. Maybe when we do the trade, we'll wait and oh, see. I don't know. But I didn't, I didn't want to cause make problems. that happen. Here's the thing. Here's why. Because <laughs> Andrew is a guy who's like a good dude. He's got kids. He's trying to pay his bills. I don't want him screwing with the source that is putting food on the table for his children. For I sure. Not, and I am not I get that guy. It. Yeah, yeah, we're just talking. I totally, I totally get what you're saying, but um, this actually isn't pulling back too much of a curtain, but what's funny about the Kevin Smith day there, Gotham Central, is, uh, you know, I assumed because of Andrew and that that's kind of the route that it went through, you know, because I knew he was going to be here because it was the Clerks 3 premiere in Toronto, but Andrew's working with him. So I heard about Gotham and I figured it had something to do with that. So Joey, who is the girl at Gotham, uh, she set it up, but he pointed her in the right direction. It turns out the direction that he pointed her in was to our very good friend, Mr. Michael Zapsik, 
who has been a guest on this show many times, and you can see Mike Zapsick on AMC. Turns out Mike's the one who's been kind of arranging his in-store appearances and such. You get on during Mike. this tour. So you all we gotta do is bug the Zapsick. That's all yes. we gotta do, man. <laughs> really? Yes. So yes. That's Absolutely. what I, mean. I think it may be more of a possibility than uh, than you think. But uh, yeah. I think we should work on that for sure. Because now, like now that he was nice enough, Kevin, to give me that intro for the 420 show, don't think I'm not stopping until he's a guest on this show. Even if it's five, 10 minutes, I will interview that man. Great. And, and like you were way. saying, which interview? He's a great interview. Oh, he's fantastic. Yeah. He I'm talks. Sure. Yeah. Strap yeah, in, right? buddy. It's happening. Oh, that's the thing. And. I'm this podcast exists. You and I are having this conversation right now because he told me to. I was listening back in 2009 while you were sausage festing. He was starting to podcast. I think he started 2007. And, uh, you know, it was Smodcast with him and uh, what's his name? Scott Mosier. Yeah. And that was the one that existed. And all he kept doing was going on about like anybody can do this. This is insane. Like everybody should have a podcast just because everybody could have a podcast. And I went, you know what? You're right. And I went home and me and my buddy lit a joint, hit record on my voice memos on my iPhone and recorded the first episode of an alien weapon. Here we are almost 11 years later. And it was because Kevin Smith said, just do it. And now dead Romans is coming out because you're making yes. comics because March in 2009. And he said, just do it. That guy like, sure, not the greatest filmmaker, like not the greatest anything, but man, is he not the most inspirational human being for some reason? When I met him this year, I got hooked up and I got to meet him for a few minutes at Fan Expo. And I had I, I didn't plan my spiel, but it came out so well that Josh Werner of Source Point was with me. And he was like, dude, did you like write that? And I was like, dude, that just came out. And he was like, you just said everything you should have said. And I was like, I know. So I Spouted it all out to Kevin, you know, all that inspirational shit, you know, the show, how old it, blah, 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 blah. And uh, he stops me, he goes, what episode? I said, almost 420. And he like smiles because he was the most baked I've ever seen a human being. He wasn't at Gotham, but when I saw him at Fan Expo, it was fresh. And he was like, like high school baked. Dude. But he, he signed a thing for me. He signed it to an elegant weapon. And then all he wrote was, look what you did. And I'm just like, I still get chills when I think about it, when I read it, right? So when he came to Sausage Fest from New Jersey, yeah, he didn't want to fly. He wanted a limo so that he could drive across the border so he could smoke weed the whole way. Yeah. And, and then cross the border. Days, yeah. And and like one of his stipulations was someone was in like Niagara Falls <laughs> with weed that could get in the car and smoke weed with him the rest yeah, of the drive. That's awesome. <laughs> let's talk Star Wars, okay? Yeah, let's, let's talk, talk like Star Dead Wars. Romans, end of March, huge in time for Toronto Comic Con. Yes, oh, we'll sweet. have issues at Toronto oh, Comic Con. Sign that shit up. <laughs> I say that without having spoken to Jim and Shadowline an image about it, but I'm, <laughs> I'm confident in theory <laughs> that I should have advanced copies in hand. That's exciting. Jim's been very supportive about things. Right. I hope he loves me enough to give me books. <laughs> but let's talk Star Wars for a second. Uh, because I mentioned so when much. Pencils Down happened, I threw there's everything so to the side to focus on this Star Wars radio play that I wanted to do called Mud 79. <laughs> so which much is a, a Star Wars radio play yeah. that is told from the Imperial perspective. Um, it's like Platoon meets Star Wars. How can people hear it now? 
um, I don't know, just do a Google search for Mud 79. It'll turn up because it used to be, it used to be through this one specific uh, like podcast hosting system that was for everything, but now okay. they're gone. So just do a Google search. It's on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. It's everywhere. All right. It's everywhere. You'll find it. Mud79. Just do a search. Okay. But here's why I would say don't do that. Because (laughs) in March, in March, we're going to start dropping the remixed, revoiced versions of the first season, followed by the second season, where we will drop a new episode every single week until it is done. Because I have spent the last, every time I'm not working on writing, I've been working on this. Because I will tell you this right now. We've got a very big book that I can't talk about that is working with a massive talent from Toronto. And it is for Blizzard. And that's all I can say. And it is coming. And the announcement will be huge and very attractive. That's it. You've muted yourself. I can't even hear you. Oh, and very attractive. Yes. <laughs> Lovely. So it's coming. It's, it involves Blizzard. That's all I can say right now. That's crazy. Um, and that is will be announced later on this year. And that is what got in the in the way of me doing season two of Mud 79. Which well, I, if there's a season three and I'm not involved, my heart's going to be broken. Oh, I'm going to tap on you for season two, man. Oh, shit. I, just, yeah. I, haven't, I, haven't gotten, I haven't sent out, so... I'm just finishing the final 15 minutes of the second season right now. Yeah. Uh, And I've got the whole band back together. Uh, Sean Hatton is one of my main characters in this season. Uh, It is a long list, a long list of big names. Because the first season, I don't know if anyone listened, but the first season had 50 cast members. Holy uh, shit. There was 50 different cast members because what I wanted to do is combine the concept of a well-produced uh, audio drama with a well-produced graphic novel audio word book on tape kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. When you listen to like the star Wars books on tape, there's music and there's sound effects yeah. and all these things. Yeah. And it's those elements with the casting of a radio play. So different people voicing the different characters. Yeah. We tell this story from a guy who fights for the empire. And the very opening of the book is my name's Solomon Kwai. When I was 16, I joined the empire. <laughs> and and like, that's the opening. Yeah, that's how yeah. it opens. Yeah, and then yeah. he explains why did he join the empire, and he he's very blunt about during the Clone Wars, like our planet was about to be overrun by the Trade Federation, and we signed on to fight for the Republic. And when they changed their flags, that was just a flag for us. It was still the Republic. Yeah, yeah it yeah. was just a different thing. And so I fought for the Empire, and if you don't understand that. It's only because you're coming from a different place or time where you had different opportunities than I had when I was growing up. I got to catch up and listen to the men. It's, it's very um, exciting. The, 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 the revoiced remixed versions of the first four episodes are so strong uh, because I really came into my own 
with the understanding of the story and the setting in the universe around episode seven. Cool. And uh, I really wanted to create like a war memoir, like a soldier's memoir. That's of a fighting sweet a idea. Love it. And it's, and the thing that I love about it is I love small scale storytelling because we live small scale lives. We do, but they don't feel small scale to us. Right. And every Vietnam war, war memoir that I've read have been written by these guys fighting in units we've never heard of, fighting in theaters of combat we've never heard of, fighting in battles for the most part we've never heard of. But to them, it's everything. Yeah. And this story is about just another imperial grunt who's not a stormtrooper. He's a mud trooper, which is the infantry in the imperial army. He's a mudder. And for him, he knows he's not affecting the future of the emperor or the empire at all. Yeah. But he's watching his friends die. He's fighting in a theater of war that he knows doesn't really matter. But for him, it's everything, you know? And he, it's, I read a great book about the Second World War, and it's called Blood Red Snow. And it was written by a guy who fought in the German army in the Second World War in the Ostfront. And anybody that has this idea about Germany bad, they're all Nazis, doesn't understand the nuanced reality of that era. There was the German army. Then there was the SS. And for him as a guy in the German army, he, and they're very blunt about it in the book, there were no there was no segment of the population, no group in the world that they hated more than the SS because all the SS did was make life harder for everyone. In this book, they're stationed in Ukraine. They're fighting the Soviets who don't take prisoners, by the way. That was the big thing that he emphasized. The Soviets didn't take prisoners. They killed everyone period you got captured you were dead that's just the way it was so they're in this village in ukraine and the ukrainian villagers also hate the soviets because if you understand history you'll know that in the decades leading up to the second world war the soviets starved over seven million ukrainians to death right that's just what they did so they allied when the germans came in they're like we've been liberated to fight the soviets because they're starving us to death so this is our option but as they're staying in this Ukrainian village where the villagers are doing the, they're doing their laundry, they're giving them food, they're giving them shelter, they're making sure their beds are clean, et cetera, et cetera. They go off to the front line and they come back and the SS has killed everybody in the village that they're right. staying in. I get because it. Because yeah. the SS had this mindset. They're not true Germans. They're Eastern dregs. They don't belong in the true Aryan version of tomorrow. And he's of the mindset. Why are you doing this? You just made life so much worse for all of us. And so I took that, that scenario and applied it to the empire. 
And so I sort of make the stormtroopers as the SS and all of the mutters hate the stormtroopers. And all they do is talk about how the stormtroopers are the worst. They're just the worst guy. It's so bad. <laughs> like all they do. And he even says, he goes, all they do is walk around and act like assholes and make sure that everywhere we go, everyone hates us because right. we're the uniform that we wear. But they're the ones that are causing all the problems. They're the yeah. worst guys. Yeah, yeah. And and it's like, but then there's another scene where he talks about how this is this this is like a roll of the dice type combat situation where they're not in the winning side of the column, but all of a sudden those DX nines start coming down loaded with stormtroopers, and the stormtroopers just roll over the enemy like yeah. no fear, no nothing, and so they're like. Well, they saved her ass this time, but I still. <laughs> <laughs> well, segue. We only got about five minutes left, so segue, segue this into your thoughts on Andor. I love Andor. Did you like it? You enjoyed that? That's that, that small story, right? That, that small scale story. Yeah, yeah. Humanistic story elements yeah, in a very yeah. over the top environment. There were some things I disliked about it. It yeah. didn't happen until the very end. But dude. I've I was the opposite. Sense. I think the first three episodes can fuck off. They were pointless. Oh, but then, shut up. then it went crazy. Shut up. Then it okay, went crazy. listen. They were, they, they, you could have made that one episode. They the laid out. could have been one episode. No, yeah, it could have so been. You're so wrong. You're Too slow. So wrong. But <laughs> they, they, because there's all kinds of subtext things that they drop about the characters in there. But when Stellan Skarsgård drops that line, I burn myself daily for a sunrise. I know I'll never see yeah. everyone who writes go fuck yeah. <laughs> everyone. Yeah. Everyone went fuck. Yeah. And I think that the, the unsung hero of that series is Mon Mothma. She was amazing. Um, specifically yeah. the actress who played her in her name escapes me right now. It's very Gaelic sound. It's been the same one since episode three. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, dude, yeah, dude, yeah, they held on, man. She is pure elegance, yeah, yeah, so good. She's and, amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, it was I, very well acted. Andy Circus fucking stole the thing oh, for me, he was just beautiful. And of course, one yes, way out. One I don't way think out. I've ever seen Skarsgård so emotive in anything he's done. You know, so great, dude. And not it just was, not just in those passionate moments like you were just talking about, but just in his in the characters he's playing and, and the, the you know, the deception he's trying to put across. Listen, it's, he's 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 just he's he's getting a chance to be more of himself than I've ever seen that guy. You listen to Mud 79. OK, which I came out. Two, the first season came out two years ago. Yeah. And my producer, who I mentioned, if you download it off like Spotify or anything, you'll hear me talk relentlessly about my contemptuous harpy producer Dila who is one of the biggest Star Wars fans that I know of and Dila and the artist who did the promo poster work for each for the episodes Rob Burnett um, who I retweet often both of them believe firmly that someone from Star Wars was listening oh because there are scenes and elements depicted in that series that have become scenes and elements in Mando season two and Andor and Obi-Wan 
specifically the promo poster for season episodes uh, five and six. If you look at the promo poster and then look at the promo poster for Obi-Wan, it is the same poster. It is the same poster. I should should you not. Season two of Mandalorian opens up with the tragically underused and underappreciated John Leguizamo playing an underground villain who has a double cross in a pit fight with two Gomorians. And what do you think happens in episode six? (laughs) At 79, (laughs) there is a scene which features Toronto's radio goddess, Joanne Wilder, bartender, by the way. (laughs) I love it. But when I asked her to do this, she's like, I don't want to do your stupid Star Wars (laughs) thing. And I'm like, no, 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 trust me. It's good. It's cool. You'll like it. She's like, well, I'm not listening to it, but I'll do the voice, but I'm not listening to it. Oh, shit. She plays a bartender in that scene. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jay Fosgett did uh, Source Point a couple years ago, put out a radio play of his Dead Duck and Zombie Trick book. Yeah. And when they came to Toronto, not all the cast could be here. So I got to fill in and we did a live reading at, at a panel of the fucking radio show. And that was some of the most fun I've ever had, man. I Dude, couldn't if I could believe it. How I love radio was. plays. Like, oh, it was so I, I, cool. I should send you a, a JPEG of the mix down, the mix down session. And I don't mean to toot my own horn, but listen. I've Do been it. working as a broadcaster for a long time and I know yes. how to put audio together. And I was a producer. In fact, one of the radio gigs, my first major market radio gig in Winnipeg in the early 2000s, I only got because I lied on my resume and said that I was really good at multi-track production, which I wasn't. <laughs> but I lied and I got a job because of that lie. And make it I till you lied. make it. Yeah. Make it till you make it. Yeah. So the the audio tracks, like because I'm doing a lot of animation voice work now. Um, yeah. Oh, you went to record for the Paw Patrol. I did. That's I can't awesome. talk about what I did for the Paw Patrol, but I am in an episode of Paw Patrol. Sam Agro works on Paw Patrol, doesn't he? Sam I Agro. don't know. You know uh, Sam like, Agro? I, I do know Sam Agro. I believe he I, does uh, the character design work, I'm pretty sure, for Paw I, Patrol. Like, the voice world is so cut off from everything else. You go mm. into like a voice booth and you <laughs> you read your lines. Right, right with a voice that I can't do because I don't own the voice. It's not my voice. I don't own it. It's the, it belongs to them. I voice it for them and I voice a character and you only really deal with your producer, your director and your, your voice production person. Right. Uh, Like somebody from the studio who makes sure that everything fits with what they're doing. So the uh, voicing stuff, and when I showed my producer for one of these animated things that I'm doing, the mix down, he's like, this is some intense audio work. I'm like, it's very intense. <laughs> very intense. It's killing me. Intense. It's, it's, yeah. So <laughs> All right. funny is like with the next, within the next month, within the next month is when I get really into the production side of season two. Oh man. Oh, you're yeah. such a fucking machine, Fred. All, right. All of these things are just coming together right now that have been boiling under for like two years. It's great. You've fucking deserved it because you've fucking been putting the passion in for so goddamn long and you've been patient mm. and you've fucking taken your licks. You've taken which, your rejects and now it's which, time to shine. 
it's everybody that I've worked with coming up has gone in to do amazing things. And it's like, finally, I'm getting <laughs> to do some stuff myself. Finally. Dude, it's been nuts for the past 10 fucking years. Plus, I've been doing this show. I remember interviewing people that it was like their first fucking Comic-Con. And now they're working yeah. for Marvel and drawing yeah. Star Wars, doing whatever the fuck they're doing. The dream. It's like the dream. crazy fucking um, Obi-Wan. Kenobi, was that as yes. satisfying for you as it was no. for me? No, no, eh? it was oh, not. Man, made me happy. No, no. I don't. Oh, oh, dude, it made me so happy. Like watching <laughs> Ewan McGregor, like yeah. put on it. Like I, with Dila, my producer, who is a person I talk about Star Wars with more than anyone else, we both said it was it was Ewan McGregor giving an A plus performance with a C minus script. Like that's what that was it. Like he, I would agree. Watching for. Yeah. Was it the best story? No. No. Was it pretty schlocky a lot of the times? Yes. But every time Ewan McGregor was on there doing his thing, was I like in rapture? A hundred percent I was. Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> there was like two episodes that were enough. Like, you know, yeah. I was like, I don't even need the rest of the show. I'll watch these like two 20 minutes. So over and over and over and over fucking again, man. <laughs> so like the, the frustrating aspects was number one i didn't want the third sister to get this schlocky redemption arc yeah because it didn't make sense from a canon perspective because i'm tired the, of redemption arcs listen so she's <laughs> it says that she's only been kept alive by the dark side and she's so fueled with rage and hatred yet after getting gutted a second time when the dark side keeps her alive she suddenly decides to abandon the dark side, yet at the end is somehow still alive. How is she still alive <laughs> if she's given up on the dark side in her pursuit of hatred and revenge? That's and an I, excellent new point. And then I thought, <laughs> listen to this. So remember, she fights Vader. And I love, I love that they made, like Vader rolls in. What's the first thing to do? Just murders some civilians. Why yeah. not? <laughs> like, just Vader murdering. Because he's trying to elicit an emotion reaction from Obi-Wan to sense him. Yeah. Smart, smart. That's Vader Kieran Gillian comic Vader yeah. that yeah. we're seeing, which is brilliant. Yeah. Um, which Hayden said all he did to study for this part was read the comics and watch the Clone Wars. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. So he, good. So fucking brilliant to take. Like, he very didn't have as much time with that character as the other people who have voiced that character have but he's and have the had time writing that character out, right? So, so it makes sense. So let me tell you this. How awesome would this have been? If I'm writing, this is what I pitch. Third sister gets exposed. Everyone knows what she's doing. Okay? Yeah. And then... She's dying and she knows that she's dying. And all that matters to her is revenge and ruining fucking Vader's life. And as he pulls her in, no, I had like in my head, I explained this. She grabs Vader and pulls herself up on his lightsaber, pulls herself up, looks at him, straighten his fucking mask and says, I know where your children are. Boom. Let's go and fucking Ooh. dies. Yeah. In terms of making Vader suffer, that's it. Because she that's says, she doesn't so say angry. your son. She doesn't say your daughter. She just implies that she knows that not only does he have a child, 
he has children and she knows where they are and he just murdered her and that gives him more reason to fucking hate himself it's good so in terms that's of good writing yeah i good believe storytelling i've been paid <laughs> money for my writing yeah so like her saying that to him to me in terms of using the dark side that's it yeah, that's yeah. it that makes that, sense to yeah. me that should have been her ending and then the radio is there and gives Vader a clue and he goes and finds Obi-Wan because nobody watching that finale was like, I wonder what happens to the third sister. Oh, no man. one cared. All everyone wanted to see is that Vader is going to fight Obi-Wan and this time Obi-Wan's going to beat him. Oh, God. It was Boy. the mistiming. Like, he's under the rocks and he's fighting and, you know, he's having all those visions of the kids and it yeah, gives yeah, yeah, a motivation. Yeah, yeah. No, that's when you hear Qui-Gon that's the moment Qui-Gon gives him the oomph he needs to get up. Not a cheesy-ass end of show, hey, we got a long way to go cameo. Like, that was heartbreaking. As much as it was beautiful to see Qui-Gon again, I was like, really? No. In the rocks. That's when he should have fucking seen Qui-Gon. I got to tell you something. I'm going to share with you my pitch go. of how it happen. to go. continue the Star Wars universe in the opposite direction to what we're seeing. Aside from Andor. Because we're filling up all the back stuff. Okay. Mace Windu survives. That's a basic. That's, that's okay. what I thought Mace Windu was going to be at the end of Mando 2. I right. thought that was going to be Mace Windu. So Mace Windu, he survives, right? And what does he do? He survives enough before the complete destruction of everything. And he grabs a Padawan. Takes this Padawan with him. This Padawan is his contingency. Who knows? Maybe he even started training this Padawan before the fall of the Jedi Order because he never trusted Anakin. He never trusted anything that was going on. May every All the other Jedi were ignoring their fucking deals and just going with the prophecy. Yoda was like, trust in the Force. Everybody's trust in the Force. Mace never trusted Anakin. There was never a point that he was comfortable with this situation. Make perfect sense for a logical, reasonable person like Mace Windu to have a backup to have a fucking contingency plan for when this order falls. So you've got this fucking Padawan and you take this Padawan's taken off away and he's trained in secret in exile after the whole thing fucking falls, but he's kept hardcore secret because he's not the one, he's not the chosen one. He's not fucking anybody who needs to come and fight his father. He's just fucking being trained to be this fucking perfect Jedi. Right. Um, maybe Mace Windu's learned a few lessons because, you know, from what the Jedi did and is teaching him to be a little anyways. So this Jedi grows up because there's years in between. So this little kid Padawan had grown up to the point where he needed his own fucking Padawan. Right. So let's say, you know, now you've got these three Padawans set up. So maybe the movie, the next movie, you get Ray to come back. Right. Just for at least one more movie. And she's off just traping around the universe, doing whatever with her new orange lightsaber, calling herself a Skywalker, right? Yellow. It was a yellow lightsaber. Sorry, the yellow lightsaber. That's right. So our other Jedis, who have grown maybe a bit, because there's the one contingency kid. Maybe he's tra trained, trained another one. Maybe there's Mace, the, the new master, and a Padawan, right? They're trying to go around doing some good shit, but they're staying very fucking low and very inconspicuous, right? Ray starts hearing these rumors about some fucking Jedis or maybe these Jedi types or these, you know, 
situations that have happened that maybe only a Jedi could have been. So she starts fucking wandering around trying to fucking find these Jedi. These Jedi are aware that she's trying to find them. So they're staying away. Why? Because enough of that Skywalker bullshit. Skywalkers fuck us up. We don't want anything to do with them. That's fucking done. Let Rey go do her own fucking thing. We're going to rebuild our own fucking Jedi order. And that's how you can continue on. You could bridge them. Maybe they eventually do meet and there's some kind of passing of knowledge or some shit. But Mace Windu is the fucking key. Mace Windu is how you carry on that fucking order without a fucking blip. You can ignore all three of the sequels and just carry fucking on with a whole new order of Jedi. That's my idea. Simple, straightforward. That's what I would love to see. Can we come back on? Can I come back on when <laughs> yeah. Mud Season 2 drops and we can just do a whole episode about Star Wars? Yes, please. Anytime. Okay, good. Absolutely. Like the, the Acolyte. Are you like I you know of the acolyte? Did you see the set photos? What? Yeah, I'm not I'm nodding. I'm nodding. I'm getting my head. a Jedi show, Fred. <laughs> Every week on TV, there's gonna be new lightsabers going. <laughs> I can't fucking tell you on excited. Am I the weirdo for not being a Jedi guy? Like I love no, Jedi. no one is. No one but is. I this is what I loved about Rebels, and I will always I think Andor came close very close to tipping rebels off the top of the pile but rebels for me is still the best thing star wars has ever done period end of story i love it i love it all i broke one's one of my favorites but absolutely i think i'm just particularly more than others to me i get the impression that most people aren't because most people are you know han guys and most people like a lot more about you know the stories than i do i could not give a damn about the sagas like this is the most exciting thing i think for me in a long time because this goes to an era that we've never seen the most exciting time ever for me in star wars was just before episode two because i was about to get a jedi temple i was about to get an army of jedi i was about to get thousands of lightsabers ignited at once you Things did. We, we did. Uh, you did. You got that. Now I'm going to get Geonosis to see in a in an arena. Right. Right. That and now I new... get to see the High Republic. Now I get to see the gold robes. Oh, I'm so excited! I can't even so, tell you. Yeah. For me, it's the thing I'm most stoked about right now is that Ahsoka Tano series because Ahsoka Tano, which by the way, she started like I hated. I hated. That, that first movie, come on! Right? And it was now four-year-olds. Yeah. She is my number two, and the only reason that she's not number one is my lifelong love of Darth Vader. <laughs> but that they're going to directly proceed from Rebels. If you don't watch Rebels, you're not going to understand. You're not going to know, show yeah, because she's looking because she mentions where's your master, and everyone's like, oh, she's looking for Thrawn. She's not looking for Thrawn. She's looking for Ezra. And she knows that Thrawn is the only one who can lead her there. Because You don't think you remember, she ever found him, eh? No, she did not. Because oh. Ezra, and this is what I love about it, Ezra found a third way because of the Wendu. Like, she, it, he's, and it's not... And there becomes a why did Ezra choose this and not someone like Ahsoka? Because Ahsoka was trained and they did it a great job in Tales of the Jedi by showing just how great of a teacher Anakin was. 
to make her ready for when shit hits the fan. Yeah. Like where everyone else is like, you got to follow the ways of the Jedi. And he's like, the ways it's like a Jeet Kune Do Bruce Lee moment. Totally. The ways of the Jedi are ceremonial and for show. I'm going to teach you how to survive. Yeah. And Ezra, it's like, you ever hear that line, like a good Superman story, it, like a good Superman versus a bad Superman story. Like a bad Superman story is where choose between a bad situation or a worse one. And a good Superman story is choose between a bad situation and a worse one, but he finds a third way. Yeah. Ezra found the third way. Yeah. He transcended. That's the way of Kirk, before. man. That's that's the way no. of Kirk. Kirk, Kirk always a finds a third way, is what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, but it involves you know? him like having unprotected physical relations with somebody. <laughs> like Ezra found. I was a thinking way more of the no no win situation, but <laughs> unprotected like physical relations. Yeah. And Ezra found that unprotected physical relations for your spirit and your yeah. soul. Dude, you brought and- up the Bindu. The Bendu. The Bendu. That Tom Baker, the greatest Doctor Who ever. One of my favorite Star Wars moments ever in the history of Star Wars is when Kanan finally loses it and is like, you fucking pussy. You neutral ass, no taking sides pussy. Just loved that. when he Because yep. I was feeling that. I was like, break for the light side, man. And he that's did. A, that's and then he a thing. Storming oh. in. Oh, so great. What I love is, and people could say that that like conflicts with his idea of neutrality, but they thread it in with this is what makes Rebels so brilliant is the respect that Dave Filoni has for the canon. And you can go back to that one series of episodes from the Clone Wars with the father, the sister, and the brother. And find like adherence to the light or the dark is a destructive path, right. no matter what way, because yeah. you can't have one without the other. Yeah. And Kanan coming in with this, there are times where the the center has to flow. People can't see the camera, but you can. And yeah, you know I see I'm your doing. hands weaving so back and you've forth. Go, yeah. If you're in the middle. You've yeah. got to lean one way, then lean back. You've got to bend like a reed in the wind. <laughs> yeah. That is a Dune reference. Yeah, you yeah, bend like a reed in the wind because the wind will blow both ways. And if you only go one way, you'll break. Yeah. You've go both yeah, yeah. directions. And I think, I believe that Ezra with um the space whales the pergils right has gone to a new like he is so off the beaten path and he has found a way of existing with the force so you think he's kind of wesley crushering it i do that is a that is another great reference i got when he you. goes with the when he when becomes he a traveler yeah traveler yeah and i think that he is i believe that the ahsoka series is the step to the next phase of the Star Wars universe. Yeah. And yeah. I think that, remember, what was that like insect race from the Star Wars expanded universes novels? Use on Vong, man. Yeah. You I think they're going to use them. Oh, I think, dude, they're... what is better? What's a better enemy for the Jedi than, than one that makes them unable to feel the force? That they can't read through the force, like and because they yeah. already took they took the 
actually, you know what? I'm kind of curious to see how they're going to react with uh, the cloning system because in the end of Bad Batch, they go to Mount Tentive, which is a big, big player in the original Timothy Zahn yeah. Clone Wars series. And I will always say that the Thrawn trilogy's explanation of what the Clone Wars was was vastly superior to what we got to see in the prequel trilogy. Yeah, just yeah. because it was much more plausible because Timothy Zahn is just a great dude. So brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. But so I'm I do I do have to depart our conversation. Okay, well let me quickly just say that I yes. do though think we'll we'll get into this more next time, but laying the groundwork for the acolyte is that I think people are not even comprehending how much it's going to change the Star Wars universe. And I, I think right. in the way that it's going to do that is because they're talking about how this is when the Sith start to first infiltrate the Jedi. But this is in the High Republic era. Yet you know, according to us, we don't. It wasn't until Plagueis and Palpatine that Palpatine worked his way in there. You know so what? Something only, major is going to happen here. Listen, there's, there's only a, only the soft cores are saying stuff like that. You and I know better. That's no, not the way it was. I know. That's why I'm interested. They're going to rewrite the whole goddamn thing. Fred, Good. thank you so much for a wonderfully extensive and enjoyable conversation, my friend. You want to talk Rome? You want to talk Star Wars? I'm always around. We're going to do it. We're going to do it tons okay, more, good. dude. Uh, we're good. coming hard this year, kids. Uh, we're banging it out. Last episode, uh, which you haven't heard yet because I haven't released as we're recording this one, but you'll have heard by the time this one is out and you're hearing it, Mr. John fucking Delaney hanging out. You know what was great? I had a chat with John Delaney the other day. And John Delaney is an Emmy award-winning, you know, extensively respected storyboard artist who worked on the first season of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon. This guy's got a resume like till the cows come home. And we Chuck Lore wrote the theme song for Ninja Turtles. That's right. Didn't know. You know yeah. how much of that we talked about, Fred? Fuck all. We spent, well, you hour, we spent an hour and a half talking about Superman kids. So I hope you enjoyed John and Delaney and I's extensive Superman conversation. Uh, and I hope you're enjoying this. Uh, it, yeah, this could be a fun year. We're getting back into things, kids. Now that things I want to come out, on two more times. Come back. You come out as many more goddamn times as you want. Well, I, I don't pester you. I, when you message me <laughs> saying you got like it's the day after the story drops, the dead Romans is coming in March. You're like, so we're going to talk. I'm like, whenever you want. <laughs> well, is this, like, am I the first? Is this your first? Like, you were the second. You were oh, the second. Because oh. there was some stuff that like that shadow line set up immediately. Right. But you were like, you're the first of my friends that messaged me right away. All right. So you've done a podcast on this already. I have not. You're the first. I'm the first podcast that you've done on this. But you're not the first podcast interview that was set up is what I'm saying. You're well, the I don't first care. One that would have done. This is the first one that's going to get released? Yeah. Then fuck them all. I'm getting it out there. Beat you there all you the fucking buzzer. I don't kids. know if I'm even legally allowed to say that or I'm going to get in trouble, but you're the first in my heart. Hey, Gorilla Pod forever. There we uh, go. I, it's crazy that there was a time I was nervous to even talk to you, man. That is so weird. I know, right? When you said that at Dave Bishop's house, I was I was hurt. Well, was it, it, hurt. no, it wasn't like you personally. It's just like you're doing all the things that I grew up wanting to do. You know, I wanted to be a radio DJ. I wanted to be that guy. It was more just. 
impressively intimidated by your, you know, profession and such that, That's you know, so weird. but then I'm I got to know a what sad, a little sweetheart yeah, you are, such a sad individual. <laughs> but you, my fellow Eminem peanut loving brother, thank you so much That's... for hanging out. Congratulations, dude. Uh, I can't wait to have this in my hands. The world is going to love it. I'm sure. It's so pretty. That is all we are going to have this week on an elegant weapon. Take it easy.